Hello, and welcome back to this, the fifth episode of Broadcast Revisited. Who's counting? I'm Carl Tolpolo. I'm Kate Royal. And today we're discussing the 2019 HBO miniseries, Mrs. Fletcher, starring Catherine Hahn and literally nobody else. <laughs> yep. Catherine Hahn, the center of our universe. Uh, top five greatest living actresses? Definitely, definitely in the top ten, at the very least. At the absolute least. <laughs> um, definitely top five English speaking. Yes, top five American, no doubt, no doubt. Um, yes, this is a seven-part miniseries based on the novel by Tom Parada, who also created The Leftovers. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm excited for this one. This is very much like my shit. Mm. And this one used to, this is a little different for several reasons. Number one, because it's only seven episodes. They're each a half hour long. So instead of taking it sort of like episode by episode, Kate had the great idea of going theme by theme, um, that's yeah, so it's just, it's hard to talk about this one episodically because mm -hmm. it's such a total piece um, that I just, I don't want to give us the restriction of, of having to kind of track it to, to beat by beat. Totally. And, and also the first episode we've done with a special guest... I am very, very pleased <laughs> to welcome Julia Masadi, who is a New York City-based actor and an enthusiastic consumer of films and literature. She's performed in theaters across the country, is an Ostrander Award-nominated actress, and started her own production company, which focuses on small-scale productions and new works and readings. She's also a floral designer, excuse me, and can be found slinging flowers in Brooklyn and beyond. That is amazing. Welcome, Julia. Welcome, Thank Julia. Thank you. I'm so excited. I am so excited and so honored. I hope yes. that this becomes like a thing we do on the regular, is just like have great people coming in and offering their take on these things as well. Just to break up, you know, Kate and I <laughs> digging through the muck and the mire. <laughs> like, it's like a breath of fresh air to have another yeah. person in the room. It really well, Yeah, and I almost added to my bio, Julia will also watch anything Catherine Hahn is in. So yes. Kate knew that about me, that I am the preeminent Catherine Hahn uh, historian, connoisseur, <laughs> sommelier, scholar. scholar. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, I mean, I, I was very... Once... Once we decided to put this on on our list, um, which I always like had had wanted to because this is really one of my favorite miniseries, um, but I was like, we have to get Julia to talk about it because Julia is part of is one of the main reasons why I watched this because what had happened was like I had started it when it was airing, and you know I do think you know, we can get into this. I do think it's something that really needs to kind of be binged. Like I couldn't quite mm. keep my attention or focus on it when it was airing 
in normal time. So I kind of fell off after like two episodes um, when it was airing. And then months later or something, Julia, you, you texted me and was like, have you watched Mrs. Fletcher? And I was like, yeah, I started it. Couldn't keep up with it. Like, no, no, you need to. It's brilliant. And it says all these incredible things about sexuality and all these other things. Um, I also, I like that your, your voice and your imitation of me asking you that was very accusatory. Did you watch Mrs. Fletcher? <laughs> that was, that, that was, I guess, the tone. It was, it was an here. indictment. It was an indictment of my character that yeah. you were testing if I had. I have a suspicion and I need it confirmed or denied. Yeah. But I can't, yeah, we were talking about something and it, and it came up and then we, and then when I watched it, we talked about it more. Um, yeah. And I guess it's like a little disclaimer before we fully dive into this, like we're going to be talking about some spicy, sexy stuff. So if that's not your cup of coffee, then, then maybe, uh, tune out for this one, but this is a mini series that is like very, very much about sexuality. Um, and SFW. Yes. And FW for sure. For sure. So Julia, would you mind telling us kind of what Mrs. Fletcher is about? Oh my gosh. I wondered if you were going to ask me this. <laughs> And I was like, what will I say? And clearly I haven't decided on anything. Um, But some of the notes that I took that I think kind of, to me, sum up what Mrs. Fletcher is about. And this was maybe more apparent, I think, on my like second and third rewatches of it than the first one. Um, Because I think the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, this is a story about sexuality and how it kind of manifests in your life you know, um, in like the teenage kind of discovering your sexuality phase of life. And then the like middle-aged portion of your life where you're like, I don't know, I have like this sexuality that's been kind of like, you know, down the toilet and kind of rediscovering, all right, like what's, who's like adult me in terms of my sexuality. Right. So that was apparent the first time I watched it. And then when I rewatched it, you know, in the past couple of weeks to get ready to record this, I was like, oh, this is actually not a parallel. It's a triad. It's sex as a teenager and discovering yourself. It's sex as a middle-aged person. Um, and then it's, it's, you know, sexuality and how we interact with it towards the end of our life. Um, and that's why I think it's so special that, that, you know, Eve, you know, is this coordinator of this nursing home. And so you see people who are, you know, at that older phase of their life and, and they're kind of figuring that out. So I guess that's a lot of words to say that I think Mrs. Fletcher is a show about sexuality and how it impacts our lives in various ways and how our sexuality um, changes and is influenced by cultural notions. And I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, that more with, with her son and that whole storyline. Um, but yeah, to me, it's, it's definitely a show about, about sex at various times in your life. You know, I know that it's, it's a show obviously about like a woman and she's finding herself and she's complex and this and that. But I think that was the thing that really struck me on the rewatch was like, oh, it's a show about sex. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a show about sex. And did you want more of a plot synopsis? I kind of went a little like. No, I mean, like, I'm happy because I think that's going to kind of just like be the conversation. 
yeah, um, cool. about how it unpacks sex and how it talks about sex. Um, yeah, and it's, and I guess it's all kind of a, of a piece, you know, it's about sex and as an offshoot of that, it's about shame and it's about mm. desire and about um, how pornography warps our understanding of consent of all these different things, but mm -hmm. also how, you know, fantasy, how pornography can, can be a safe way of channeling fantasy. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then also how it can kind of turn sex into performance. Right. You know, the performance of sex was something that I feel like I, every time that kind of popped up, I was like, Ooh, notes, notes on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of the, the, the navigation. And I think you see this, especially with mother and son of how they both navigate. Um, not, not disappointment necessarily it kind of is for her later on, but like the, the distinction between porn and reality and having to mm. kind of like recalibrate when, when the reality of their sex doesn't match the pornography they've been consuming. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. That comes up. Carl, do you want to give a little plot summary? Yeah, totally. So basically we've got single mother, Catherine Hahn sending her um, pride and joy, uh, <laughs> Brandon, uh, off to college for his freshman year of college. Um, so it, it's, it starts as this sort of like, how do I, how do I manage, um, these feelings of like this empty nesty kind of new, this new chapter of my life, um, which then leads into this sort of burgeoning sexuality that had already, that had always sort of been, um, uh, like subdued and like pushed to the back of things. Cause it was more important to be a wife and be a mother for her. Um, and now with all this, with this space and this time, she allows herself to feel like that hunger for the first time. And that was the thing that really came through. And it was something that you pointed out to me um, when we were watching Blue is the Warmest Color is like how much it's about hunger and oh my god carl it's too early to be bringing in blue is the warmest color i'm gonna get canceled <laughs> immediately <laughs> well i'm only gonna say because of the um because of the um let's go there like, shots of everyone eats they, they have these like very pointed shots of people just like consuming food and these these characters are so hungry for so much more than just yeah. food or sex or you know a, a that is a film of it is about appetite it's about appetite and i i seeing those things sort of like whether they did this consciously or subconsciously or you know what i mean the, the filmmakers yeah. themselves like that like popped up to me and i was like oh these people are starving like brandon is it brandon or brandon 
I'm so sorry. I think it's Brendan. Brendan. Honestly, I forgot his name and was very prepared to just be like Jeff, Josh, <laughs> Chad. Who cares? Chad. Isn't his name? Wait, it's Jackson um, White. Jackson White is the actor's name. Yeah. Um, who is what's her face's son? Katie Segal. Katie Segal. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but that was just like, it was just so, that was one of the things that like, that like I kept coming back to. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, I like the idea of going sort of like thematically because it is, it, it, the stuff that happens in these half hour episodes, it, it's sort of like you do have to piece it together with all the other episodes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of a, I think some people described it as like, it's not exactly this, but it's like from Mrs. Robinson's perspective, you know, like Mrs. Mm-hmm. Fletcher is very much, it's it's about this woman in a contemporary setting um, whose, son, whose son is off to college. And as, as Carl was saying, like it kind of ignites like her version of feeling the empty nest channels into this sudden and insatiable sexual appetite um, that knows no gender or, or boundary, you know, it, it, uh, yeah. And it's sort of like spurred on by, by her best friend, Casey Wilson being like, live, laugh, love, girl, now's your time. And she's suddenly like, let me check out Pornhub real quick. <laughs> this is how I'm going to live, laugh, love. Yeah. Um, and then she she finds herself in this writing class, very, like, empty nesting kind of cliche of, like, let me explore my creative side um, in, a, in a night school writing class at the local community college taught by uh, this woman, Margot, played by the great Jen Richards. Oh. Um, and there she meets Julian. Mm. Oh. A very, very explicitly stated 19-year-old. 19. 19. specifically 19. He's yeah. Uh, but I guess was like delayed in high school. And we met Julian a little earlier because her son, Brendan, bullied him um and then like jokes on brendan because julian's gonna fuck his mom (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's always what i think i mean this you maybe you have to like cut this out because this is like i don't this is we can talk about no we're talking about the show nothing's a spoiler okay yeah okay so like that's what i always think about like that end that end scene when brendan like walks in on them and then Julian walks out of the house and I always just wish he would just turn around and be like, yeah, I fucked your mom. And then like yep. stride off into the night, you know, like the kid from the breakfast club with the long coat and the fist in the air. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Just a moment of real victory. Right. But Julian is more of a gentleman than I am, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Yes. Julian is classy and is like, let me just, uh, <laughs> let me just redress here and, and make my way. <laughs> That that moment between them at the end, that hey, hey exchange hey. is oh. so, it's so brilliant. 
Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And, uh, you know, we'll get to the, the Amanda of it all. Oh, the Amanda of it all. The angel who facilitates and liberates all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Leave it to the queer character to do that. Honestly. Who's going to do it? One of the straights? Her straight best friend who live, laugh, love? You know, Casey Wilson's no. not liberating anybody. She can't liberate herself. No, she goes back to her husband who gets the hand jobs at the um, massage parlor. His, his little happy ending solar, massages. Solar plexus. <laughs> so, okay. So that, the scene where Catherine Hahn, like, scare kisses Amanda, like... Okay, but here's the thing. This is a note that I took, which is that the thing about that kiss is, like, it's not, like, a sudden, like, nervous peck. She, like, kisses, kisses her. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she, Catherine Hahn would kiss me like that. Like, as, like, <laughs> when you're that openly gay person and you're, like, going about your life and you're like cool about it. Like how many times has that fucking happened to me? And you, Kate, know these straight men that just like, they just feel so comfortable that they're gonna like try it. And it's like, that's fine. Like I could have used a warning. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. The, the, that's like straight women. That's just like been a consistent thing. And I was like, that is reality. Yeah. I have never had the experience of a straight woman just like suddenly. No, that's a lie. JK. I was going to say. I have. <laughs> I know. I, I was going to say, like, in fact, <laughs> in we fact, were I have. <laughs> just talking about it earlier. We've, we've no, all. No, it actually wasn't that. We've all but. watched it, Katie. We've all watched it happen to you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This episode's going to make me blush. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be editing this later, like snip, snap, snip. <laughs> <laughs> no, as long as we don't name any uh, any guilty parties. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> to all the straight people who we've loved before. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I had this idea of like, let's talk about it thematically, but I didn't really think through what that meant or what that would look like. Oh, you don't have like a list of themes? No, I mean, to me, I think like the the themes that stand out to me are um, desire, women's desire, especially, um, consent i mean just the entire brendan plot line i kind of just want to devote a lot of time to just talking about that and yes and it's it's many you know i don't think it fails at anything it's trying to do but i also think it it presents some pretty preposterous things in order to achieve what it is trying to like um, you know, like the entire Brendan and Chloe relationship is just not something that would ever happen. No. Mm. Although, 
when she's talking to her queer friend at the coffee shop that they work at, right. like that moment, I'm like, okay, I, I, I would buy that for a dollar when her friend is like, you know, you just love these like basic white boys with pink dicks. I was like, you know, I feel like I, yeah, like I get that. Sure. I get that. Totally. I think that's fair. I, I guess like I would have... It surprises me that she is continuing to really root for him after the support group meeting. Yeah, I think she has blinders on a bit. I think I think it's one of those things where you're like only seeing the best in the person and you're not seeing what's Yeah, she sees a potential there. for him to learn. Yes. Yeah. Which like I get that. I think the thing that bothers me about Chloe and I don't necessarily think this is like a flaw in the writing or anything. I think like she I think she is this kind of character like but the thing that bothers me about her and what she does is that her blinders of wanting him to be a decent guy, a better guy, um, involve her on several occasions, like allowing him to corrupt a safe space for another group. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sorry, when she brings him to that fucking, like, naked queer house party oh, I'm like this is God. violence yes it is violence this is an act roll up. of violence yes and i think i think i took a note on the fact that she literally says like oh yeah i guess i should have told you that this is xyz and i was like girl that is violence to not tell him before you go there like you're gonna bring this like himbo like, hulking himbo to like a queer body positivity underwear party. Where his where roommate, his who roommate he doesn't know if A, is going to be there with his boyfriend. And be outed. And she is like, okay, A, she doesn't tell him in advance, which is like that. Yes, that is a moment where I'm like, that is crazy. That will, would not. Like, she's in queer allies. She literally is like running late. Got to go to my queer allies meeting. Like, don't they tell you that in the first one? Yes. And then second of all, she doesn't like read the room when she's like, oh my God, there's your roommate and my friend. Like we all know each other, like, you know, whatever, she's drunk. She's like, oh, you didn't but- know he was gay? Oh, I guess that means he didn't want you to know he was gay. Right. That's it. And how do you yeah. not figure that out? If that guy is your best friend and she says those words, how do you not know A, that he's seeing somebody, B, oh, his name's whatever, oh, the dude I'm kind of seeing has a roommate named whatever. Maybe piece those clues together? Because the best friend knows. Because when when she's like, oh, this is Brendan, he's like... (gasps) Right. Brendan. Like, he knows. He has the aha moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and that's just the worst part about her character is that she doesn't exist. Like, she has zero personhood until that scene when they're eating oatmeal. Like, right. she's just her to be, like, a fairy godmother of wokeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and we need to stop putting that pressure on our, you know, only POC character. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why it happened that way. Plus, right. From, you know, for my, like, two cents or, like, going to a school of any kind that day he met. So when they did like the Sam and Max 
Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. When yeah. a kiss is not just a kiss, as Kate and I know from Geneseo. <laughs> we had that very yes, same our little uh, Whack and Jack. Whack and Jack. He would have, he and Max would have gotten together. She would have introduced him to her basic friends. He would have found some basic friends. They would have been together and he would be a senator by now. You know what I mean? <laughs> that wouldn't, there's no, there's no realm where this Gaston would go through life and not have people flock to him. You know what I mean? I don't care yeah. what college you're going to. I do like the idea, though, that he's, like, too basic, even for basic Max. Oh, like, oh my God, I love, I love it. that notion. That, like, even, even for her, even for this girl, it's, like, a one-time hookup and then, like, never to be seen again. Because he's, right. like, that fucking boring. Right. Well, and I love the scene with him and the lacrosse players. <gasps> yes. Yes. <laughs> That's a great example. Yeah. <laughs> And the thing I'm is, one of them surf. is dumb things about climate change. But even his dumb things are still smarter than what this dumbass is saying. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think the Brendan storyline feels like that fantasy for those of us who, like, weren't that kind of, like, cheerleader, popular bro, and everyone tells you, like, oh, they peak in high school, and then they're going to go on and the world is going to realize they're nothing. And, and so it feels kind of like this fantasy, right? Like you watch the Brendan storyline and you're like, oh my God. Right. And you watch him be educated and punished. And punished right. and like taken down by the world. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think realistically, like I'm sure that happens, but I think that's yeah. a little bit of a fantasy. And I agree with Carl that he'd be a senator. He'd be on the Supreme yeah. Court. Right. I do not think that kid would have had that hard of a time. No, yeah. at school because Who I guess like this is people. the other thing and Julia like as a as a gal from Long Island correct me if I'm wrong I think I was just texting this about about this with you Carl but like you know it's all fake names we never actually place this but everything about this series tells me this is a Long Island family and we're talking like SUNY Cortland. Yeah, yeah. Although as I was watching it, Steve popped in and was watching a few episodes with me. And at one point she goes to the mall and he was like, oh, that's the Paramus Mall. So oh, I guess also hey, like New, New Jersey. Jersey. Either way, because it also could Same be my thing. suburb. Because yeah. when he drives back at the in the finale, they literally drive past the Raymore and Flanagan that I Yeah, used to it's drive clearly past like a tri-state area, like basic ass suburb. 100%. You live twenty minutes from the city, but you've like never actually gone to the city. Right. That was yeah. my life. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah he's, he's going yeah, to like would, a mid state SUNY. Yeah. And then they kind of throw in that bone of like, oh, you know, he can't rush until next year. So he can't join Greek life. And that's kind of, I think, like meant to justify why he has no friends. You're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think like, I think part of my frustration with that plot line is like, It's just, it's like too little too late by the time, because I, I think there is genuinely something that it's trying to say in the wake of what happens with Chloe mm. and him attempting to apologize and really attempting to understand what he did wrong and make amends for it and doing that the wrong way. 
and that scene where Zach comes out of the dorm and is and and Brendan is like out there kind of stalking it and texting Chloe to get her to come out and Zach is like she doesn't want you here you're being creepy he's like I just want to apologize like I, I really didn't I didn't mean, mean for this to happen yeah and he is genuine in that yeah. I think like and I guess maybe this kind of brings us to the thread of pornography because I think part of what that storyline is trying to say is that like he really doesn't get what is wrong absolutely with well, what happened that, in my that... favorite part of that scene though kate when zach yeah. tells him in response to that zach's like dude nobody cares nobody cares what you meant intentions nobody don't matter cares what you meant yeah and, and that, i have and, like yes. that whole idea of intentions not mattering i think is like the stickiest part of of those kinds of conversations and our in our response to those moments because like you know all these things can be true at the same time mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like chloe was violated she never wants to see him again it's not her fault that any of that happened that is all true it is also true that this dude did not intend to do harm and doesn't under didn't understand in the moment and is maybe still not totally understanding the harm he did yeah and who is going to explain that to him? And who is going right. to make him understand that in a way that doesn't make him hate women even more? Yeah. And that's, I think, that's what's so touchy about, about depictions of sexual assault in any kind of media is that yeah. um, it's hard to depict it in a way that doesn't feel either very like victim shaming-y or right. this guy is like a salivating, disgusting monster. And I think, you know, for so many years, like you have organizations like Rain, which really pushed this messaging that was so important, which was like sex, you know, rape is not about sex, it's about power. And, and that was really good and that was really important at the time. But I think that also like sometimes prevents us from seeing how these situations like can spiral out of control really fast. Like this, you know, the character of Brendan is not, you know, like seeking out to like rape someone but but he genuinely has been so misled by being like fed this steady diet of violent pornography his entire life that yep. you know like you said he genuinely like does not get it like he and at the same time chloe was right in being like you didn't even know i was there exactly because she and, wasn't in that moment right and i think that is like to me one of the because, you know, like, Brendan and Eve, his mother, their stories follow almost an identical path, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the same episode where she goes to a party, he goes to a party. Like, they are both on a, a sexual educational journey. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really fascinating how you kind of can juxtapose that, like, as you're saying, Chloe is right. Brendan, she became an object. She became completely dehumanized in that moment because that's, that's what pornography does a lot of the time. Not, not strictly speaking, but pretty much. Not to be, you know, Andrea Dworkin about it. Right, right, right. And, and, yeah. and I never will be. And you know what? Maybe we're going to have <laughs> another conversation about the deuce. But <laughs> um, because that is... I really do think like the best show that really unpacks it's about the porn wars. It's about the rise of pornography. Watch season three. There's, there's literally a scene where Maggie Gyllenhaal's character who is a pornographer and a former sex worker 
goes to a meeting hosted by Andrea Dworkin. Oh, shit. And the two of them, like, have this unbelievable, and not hit you over the head, like, really, really real debate. Oh, uh, like, it, it just encapsulates the born wars of second-wave feminism in a way that I was like, cool. yes to this. Yes to this show. Yes to Maggie Gyllenhaal. Well, so should we should we kind of like use that to segue into talking about pornography and how that manifests in the show? Yeah, and 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 the thing that I was just going to say is that like Chloe feels objectified in a way that is like really damaging to her, but Eve's desire is to be objectified. Mm-hmm. You know, she watches MILF porn. Mm-hmm. She watches this kind of dom-sub porn. And it does, like, it does get a little bit confused about that. About whether her fantasy is, is to be more in control or less in control. And I think it's part of, like, she's, she's a pornographic okay, Goldilocks, you know? She's like, yeah. let me try a little of this, a little of that. Yeah. Um, but but part of her fantasy is to be treated the way women in porn are treated. And she gets a chance to try out her more like Dom side. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of, fa- it just sort of like fails. Like it peters out into this like wet fart of a f- sexual <laughs> encounter yes. with this guy. Yeah, um, right. Who's just not reading like the cues anymore. Like, the way he was when they first started like interacting with each other. Yeah. It was very, it, he was like very much there to like facilitate her needs. And then it became all about him getting off. And she was just like, what right. the fuck? Mm-hmm. And then she goes and eats a fucking slice of pizza. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this woman is starving. She is still hungry. She's, She's still so hungry. hungry. I just, every time anyone ate on this show, I was like, mm-hmm. I mean, my God, my favorite instance of that is when she's like masturbating on the kitchen floor while making cookies. cookies. Yeah. <laughs> when she gets home and like rips that box open, I like started cheering. I was so yes. like, you are drunk and you are going to plop down on the kitchen floor and have a chocolate chip cookie and an orgasm. And, you know. God bless. But then there's like that other scene. You call it a night. There's that other scene where she orders like the saddest takeout meal in existence. And, like it's literally like, gets like this big bag of takeout. And then when you see it on her plate, it's like one endive, one sad piece of cauliflower and like an unseasoned chicken breast. Like, I don't know what she ordered. Oh my God. I know. It was like one steamed dumpling, one like steamed bok choy, and like nothing else. Well, that's like at the in the like second so to last, whatever. When she's at the Whole Foods hot bar, and she just oh. dumps a spoonful of Brussels sprouts in her box. Yeah, and, and then she goes and finds deep. Ted too high to get deep into the Whole Foods, Whole oh. Foods dining dining room. Ted. Ted. I don't want to talk about Ted yet, though. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Ted at all. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I we we should. And I do, but I hate him. Yeah. Um But yeah, well, that's interesting, Carl, with what you're saying about appetite cuz that had not occurred to me of it, of you know, correlating food consumption with with sexual dissatisfaction. 
I because might that be hungry and horny. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, I'm thinking about the scene where she and Julian are talking at the bar and they kind of end up, you know, at the table together and they have like this heaping pile of like decimated right. chicken wings between them. Well, because they're so standing kind of outside the, having a smoke together. Yeah. And he's like, and that's when she learns like, my son bullied you. Oof. Yeah. And she's like, well, his loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's this moment of tension between them where you're like, okay, this is, this, they both are kind of acknowledging this is the thing they think it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then she's like, let's go eat some wings. Mm-hmm. Let me have I mean, my I'm, white wine full of ice wings. and yes. eat some wings. And we don't see the wings, but I love the idea that the, like them eating these wings was like the foreplay into mm-hmm. the, you know, then him on his knees. staring at her toes which you know i compared earlier via text to the scene in venus and fur where he's like slowly zipping up her thigh high and i tell you when i saw venus and fur and i went to a matinee so it was a lot of blue hairs yeah shit that moment when he zips that boot up you could hear a pin drop you could hear a pin drop you heard the erections happening yeah. In real not time. Not a wet seat in the house. <laughs> not, not a dry, dry seat in the, in the house. <laughs> a lot of wet seats. God, that is just truly one of the most erotic moments on stage of all time. Yeah, that. but I, I felt like that moment between, yeah. between Eve and Julian was like similarly so erotic. Just yeah. the shots of her looking at his fingers, like who, whomst among us has not? You know? Like, when you're, like, really into someone, you're, like, I think this is what it is, you think this is what it is, and you are just, like, looking at their fingers. Like, come on. And he's looking at her toe. Like. Come on now. Come on now. Yeah. It's hot. It's really erotic. No, it's so hot. And, like, I think that is another thing that I love about this show. And this kind of deals with with different things about like women's desire and how that's presented, especially women of a certain age. Mm. Um, you know, Catherine Hahn is just an immortally sexy human being. So mm. like without being like, like Stacy's mom, milfy hot, you know, right. like she's just soulful and sexy and like she's an intellectual guy. Yeah, like sensual. Julian is like, mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. When she when he's telling her about the girl that he met and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, did you like her? And he's like, well, she's not my type. And she asks him, well, what is your type? And he doesn't respond. And then he just <gasps> says, how old are you? <gasps> yeah. But it's like, I, I like how her kind of like empty nest sexual awakening. There's definitely moments of humor in it. Like her masturbating on the kitchen floor is funny because she can't get satisfied by it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like her frustration and like the same with her like spanking herself. <laughs> you know, those are really funny moments because it's yeah, it's it's unfulfilled. But it's like no, when it's when you get to that, like it takes her sexuality very seriously. So that by the time we get to the pinnacle where she is finally mm-hmm. fulfilled, it's like truly truly hot yeah well you all feel that such a it's such a rewarding ending and like how wonderful that they like they gave her like this character this gift 
of like yes. this gorgeous experience of like yeah. this, this young, s- smart, strong man, this like woman, this like, just how do you even describe Amanda? Like she is, she's another one who is just like sense. Yeah. She, mm. like, um, she, she is just, earth. She is sky. She pleases like every, every sense you have. Yeah. Um, and then they punish <laughs> fucking Brendan's, you know what I mean? His like yeah. the final, the final sexual act that he is a part of has such a completely different, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I was afraid, like I hadn't read, I, I know it's based on, on a novel, right? Mrs. Mm-hmm. Fletcher. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't read it before I watched it. So I was like biting my nails the whole time. Like, are they going to punish Catherine Hahn at the end of this? Are we going to, is this going to be another story where a woman gets punished for like the sin of having a sexuality? Like, are they not going to make this happen? They kind of teased it a little bit with like the girl that Julian was flirting with. I was like, please, please, please don't let this be one of those things where, oh, you know, the real sexuality was the friends we made along the way. (laughs) And then they don't, they don't punish her. And it just feels so good. It feels so good as a viewer, as a woman, for the character, you know, it's so refreshing to not have a story that ends with like, okay, you had your fun little lady, you know, you got off and you watched the porn. Time to get back to the real world. Yeah. Yeah. And they let her have this like gorgeous, erotic, beautiful threesome. Yeah. What what are you thinking, Kate? I can tell you. I don't, I don't know that I agree that she's not punished. I don't know that the story punishes her. Um, I, like, I don't think that, like, she gets that moment. She gets the release that she's craving the whole time. And I, I love that she gets that and feels so liberated in it and, and feels all the things she wants to feel. But I feel like that is just utterly collapses when Brendan walks in. I, yeah. I, I feel like the act of her being witnessed and the act of her of her desire being witnessed like that by her son um you know and i think that's but that's that's where i'm left like frustrated by the ending of this because it the last shot is just her going out onto the porch to sit next to him and you know that they're about to be up all night talking through this and he will not, maybe be like, I'm maybe. never going to speak to you again. Yeah. Although um, I kind of, don't you feel like there's an element in Brendan coming home that's kind of like um, the, David Bowie at the end of Labyrinth when Jennifer Connelly says to him, like, you have no power over me. And like everything falls away because she realizes that the Goblin King like truly doesn't have this power over her and she can escape the Labyrinth at any time. And well, I that's what I want, you know? Yeah. I, I just wanted us to see some of that conversation. I You're wanted right. to, I wanted to go to bed safe knowing that Catherine Hahn was like, you don't get to judge me for what you just walked in on. Mm-hmm. Like you walked guess into my what, house without uh, knocking. You walked into my house without knocking. You know, not necessarily saying you should have expected me to be in bed with my coworker and your uh, classmate. <laughs> but you know, maybe you should this, not expect. That. Maybe you should not expect that. Maybe you need to accept that, like your mother's a sexual person. But I like I really don't, and I don't mean this as a criticism of the show. But like, so, you know, 
I really don't know what they want us to think about that ending. I would love yeah. to read the book because, like, I, I, I feel like they got onto this track of like, we know this is good, so we'll probably get a second season. Let's leave the finale I open. I really want it's it. To a, that's really what it feels like. From what I read in the book, because I only I went on like the Google like thirty four pages that they they give you for free or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, it's told third person for the for Eve stuff and first person from Brendan's. Oh yuck! Which is super. Which I thought was super interesting. Well, it's written by a, a man, isn't it? It's written by it is, which is part of why I don't want to read it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because I do think like it's it's worth pointing out that the series, you know, created by Tom Parada, so like he he is still the you know, executive producer, all of that, but the directors of it are like truly a who's who of great feminist filmmaking mm-hmm. of the last 10 years. I know, one of the best episodes ended and I was like, Carrie Brownstein, of course you directed it. Right, it's Carrie Brownstein, it's Nicole Holoff Center, who is like, yeah, you know, th- just soulful women directing this and having, who have all directed Catherine Hahn before I no, maybe I'm wrong. Well, she was on Transparent, so Carrie Brownstein was there as well. Yeah. And Jillian Robespierre, who made Obvious Child, directed mm-hmm. a couple episodes. Um, and Lisa Tommy. Um, so the, the, the show is very, very female intentionally gaze. told from a female gaze. Goodness. Um... Yeah, I'm interested to know what note the novel ends on. Yeah. Right. Because they do leave it very open in the show and not in a way that feels satisfying, in a way that does feel very like season two, find out right. more. Right. <laughs> they were trying to pull a big, big little lies, which we won't talk about. For another day. <laughs> oh, you know what? Wait, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Is it time to talk about Hamilton? No. <laughs> Julia's going to read us for not liking Hamilton. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know how I feel about Hamilton, which is that it is a lovely relic of the Obama administration and the Obama era. And much like the Obama era, it makes us feel really good, but there are criticisms to be had. So there will be no reads, Catherine. Thank you. Appreciate that. I love that. Well, and... That was the most succinct and accurate um, read, like reading of exactly how I feel about Hamilton. I, I don't know why it always takes me three hours to say what you just said. <laughs> well, you know, there was just so much discourse with a capital D, yeah. you know, after it came to Disney+. Plus, and I was like, you know, I just don't have time for the discourse. I'm going to formulate like my two sentence, you know, elevator pitch for what Hamilton is and what it means. No more, no less. It is brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> so Jesse Cephas Jones is an actor. <clears throat> is she? Gets, gets work doing acting things. Does get hired, does get gets, work to act. She's Great bookable. Voice. She's Great booked voice. and busy. Hell of a voice. Hell of a voice. Hell of a voice. 
I'm going to get canceled. Cut this out, Kate, because what if she listens to it? She knows, I think, that she's not a very good actor. Well, it's, it's so, well, oh boy. Ooh, I don't want to say too much. Um, <laughs> I've said too much already. Listen. I need to cancel myself. Have you guys seen Blind Spotting? That's all I'm going to say about that. Oh. With no, I haven't. David Diggs and the white guy who looks like Macklemore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't cut this, I, the, cut this whole part out. <laughs> the things that I have seen David Diggs act in since Hamilton, uh, I have not really I was gotten. So excited for blind spotting, and never have I really just left the theater like a popped balloon, just like <laughs> deflated, <laughs> deflated, you know, just yeah, yeah. I mean, I left Hamilton feeling that way about Lin Manuel Miranda, but oh well. That bubble's got to burst. Come on now. When he came on at the Emmys to introduce what we do in the shadows, I was like, oh, you're not doing the show any favors. I didn't watch the Emmys. Uh, but I, I, I feel did. like I did because I saw your tweets about how like bizarre and psychotic it was. And I was like, great. I it was crazy. And it was just like, the bits were agonizingly long. And I just wanted to be like, I don't need jokes. I don't, this, I don't need this to feel like a normal award show. No. This is more infuriating for you trying to like do bits about this. Just fucking read the, nom- read the nominees, read the winners, cut to whatever Zoom window they're in and be done. Yeah, press conference. Like, all we wanted was one step above a fucking press release yeah. with the list of winners. Yeah. I did like that they sent those interns in the hazmat suits to the <laughs> nominees' homes and they like stood outside with the Emmy and then if you didn't win, they were like, goodbye, and then yeah. like ran away. Yeah. Carl, did you not know that? No. I saw a <laughs> yeah. video of it. It's absolutely psychotic. Yeah. They literally they sent like, these poor uh. interns, yeah, like to the house, like on standby with the Emmy, like standing outside their sliding glass, you know, backyard door. And then when it's announced that you don't win, the intern in the hazmat suit is like waving and like walking away. <laughs> the Hollywood Hills were rolling that night. <laughs> Wait, but also here's, here's some shade directed to myself of just me being a fucking idiot because the whole reason I put off us recording this episode was because I was like, oh, we have to see what, if Mrs. Fletcher wins anything, not realizing it was not nominated for a single Emmy. Catherine. That's okay. <laughs> because I took for granted, I was like, of course Catherine Hahn must be nominated. No. It's so weird that it that's that's another thing that makes me feel like they must have been gearing up for a second season. Yeah. That, like, they were like, ooh, not this year, but maybe for season two we'll throw mm. You know yeah. what I mean? Just yeah. like no one, not an episode director, not like Carrie Brown. You know what I mean? Like nothing. Anybody, nothing. Zero. I also Zero. feel like they, they didn't like advertise the show at all. Like I feel like mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known about it if not for either us talking about it, Kate, or You me, have like, a Google alert for Catherine Hahn. I have a Google yeah. alert for Catherine Hahn. Like it popped up on the Catherine Hahn fan page. Like <laughs> That so, you run. Like, but other than that, like that I run, that I am the admin <laughs> and the mod of, I would not have known otherwise, you know? So I feel like they really kind of, HBO like did the show a little dirty, I have to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of that is just like, I don't really get it in terms of when it was coming out, like from a marketing standpoint for the show. But yeah. for Emmys, I kind of get it where it's like, it's not like they're going to put a 
dollar to the miniseries category yeah. that is not Watchmen. Yeah. You know, they're not going to spend a dime on anything other than that. But but still, like, nothing. I mean, maybe a Golden Globe. Mm. Although I think it may have been for the, the eligibility windows are all whack. So it may have already missed its opportunity for that, too. Which just makes me sad, you know? Like, it's... Because, like, with the Romanoffs, Carl, like, that got just completely shut out which I think was sort of a statement to Matthew Weiner of like, no one asked for this, no one wanted it, and we didn't watch it. <laughs> that, I mean, and I know we talked about this, but it is like, it's like someone was like, oh, you should do like a, you know, you should do like a six part miniseries about the Russian revolution and like the royal family. And he was like, I want to do an eight episode miniseries about people who may or may not be Romanovs today. And guess what? Each and, episode and is going to be 90 minutes and you're still not going to like it. And you have to watch it. <laughs> you have to watch it. I made Mad Men. Didn't I add it up? It was like 654 minutes or yes. something like that. Like, yes, Lord. It's like the Lord of the Rings trilogy at that point. It literally is the Harry Potter series. Good God. Well, and the thing about the Romanoffs that's funny too is that I feel like there were two miniseries of the Romanoffs that came out at the same time. And like, I watched the wrong one. <laughs> like I didn't watch the Matthew Wiener one. I watched like the weird, like Netflix one that had like Rasputin, like having like orgies, which cool. Like, honestly, I was here for it. The last but, Yes, exactly. I watched that one. And then it's like, well, you know, I'm not going to watch the other one too. You know, I've watched one of them. Right. Say la vie. Say la vie. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. I'm not going to then go watch the one that is somehow about the Romanos, but also about Amanda Pete as a grandmother. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just not. What's happening with women's ages on television? I do not know. I mean, even this one was a little bit of a stretch to me because, like, I mean, I looked it up, like, okay, we're all age appropriate to have our 18 year old sons here. But I'm also just like, is Casey With Wilson? Mrs. Fletcher. Yeah, and Mrs. Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Like, is Casey Wilson old enough to have a son who's already in college? And was she? Did you look that up? Uh, technically, yeah. Yeah, I feel like they made a big point to say like, Eve and Ted met when they were 19, yeah. and she got pregnant really soon to kind of like, yeah, help the math along. But yeah, yeah. Casey Wilson, I don't know. No. Because I think Catherine Hahn is 45, 44. She looks so good. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think the character is much more than 40, if that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Should we talk about Ted? Let's talk about Ted. Let's talk about Ted. I have notes on Ted. Notes on Ted by Susan Sontag. Oh, God. Um... um Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton, who has been working since he was one year old. Yeah. And he really is everywhere. Unlikable. Yes. Yeah, yeah, go off, Julia. No, I hate him. I mean, there's not like even that much to I mean, I have like notes about, you know, 
men and bonding over women's pain and um Ooh, you know not- tell us about it okay yeah well so that's one of the biggest things that i was like struck by on the rewatch was in episode three they go he comes for parents day which like i mean he's just a shithead from the beginning because he like decides the night before he's gonna go he's gonna bring his wife and their second child fam. who is autistic and bring the second fam and oh you wanted to go out to dinner on parents weekend like a normal thing to do no we got burritos and we're gonna eat them in your like sad smelly dorm room yeah so that whole thing is like a shit show obviously yeah um and then the scene where they go to the art exhibit and it's like clearly this like feminist anti-patriarchy art exhibit yes i can tell like carl is getting a migraine like he knows what's coming <laughs> and and every is it there one where it's like a mannequin with like words written all yeah, over yes of course and then like a football with like slut on it and you know <laughs> and every that scene is the perfect encapsulation of the relationship between ted and brendan and why brendan i mean not in all ways why brendan is the way he is but in many ways because every way that his father speaks with him and bonds with him is at the expense of women. And in that scene in particular, yeah, in that scene in particular, I mean, they literally, I mean, that's like the most on the nose, like where they have the football that's part of the art exhibit. And he's like, go long, bud. And they start, you know, throwing the football around. And it's like, so, oh, how silly, you know, these women's issues, like how fucking dumb, you know, this patriarch, you know, oh God. And then, and then, you know, they're in the, the, food court the next day together and the and everything the dad says to him is like oh you really must be like you know getting a lot of tail like that's that's his male role model like that's the example that he has there is nothing no messaging that's being given to him that's saying like women are people Mm -hmm. and you could probably talk to one and like they're important. And so in those moments, I think that's like when you really have like the most pathos for Brendan, because you're like, holy shit, like you do not have the tools. Like this man is handing you like a dirty diaper in like a tool chest and he's like, good luck. Well, and I, Mm -hmm. there is something like truly heartbreaking to me about the scene with the two of them out to dinner. Yeah. When Brendan just sort of says out loud, like, why is he your favorite? Yeah. And then the dad has this little speech of just like, listen, you know, like. You have no needs. You have no needs. You're good. You're smart. Everyone loves you. And you see Brendan literally like holding back tears of like. Because he's like finally asking for help. Like that is a cry for help moment where he's like, I'm drowning. I'm lost. I think everything I've been told about life is wrong. Right. Help me. Yep. And the dad just can't. And he gets to like skate back to his new life. Yeah. Yeah. And when Ted tells Catherine Hahn that he has two kids (laughs) because his wife is pregnant. And she's like, three kids, Ted. <laughs> like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But Ted is never punished. Ted, Ted will never face any consequences from society or from anyone because. Ted, but you, Ted feels punished by having an autistic child. Oh, of course. That's his punishment. Yeah. That's, in he his eyes, that's his punishment. That play football. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and they're trying to have a do-over, baby. Yep. Yeah. 
they, they want to get this one right. And it's like, yep. dude, you're too long in the tooth. That's yep. the fucking problem. Yep. Mm-hmm. You have, and he doesn't want that one either. You have two kids that really, really, really need you. Yeah. Stop trying for, you know, stop going for broke. Like, it's yeah. just, oh my God. It's just everything you said. It's picking up the feel of the symbol of female pain and playing catch with your son. An actual symbol. Yes. Like, the Putting whole, female like, pain in like an object and then playing catch with your son. In any other project, I feel like that would have been so heavy handed and I would have hated it. But I totally. literally watched it and was like, uh-huh. Totally. <laughs> it's Yes. And I love that they included that because it really, I think this kind of like ties into what we were talking about earlier with, with the assault, you know, between Brendan and Chloe is like those moments where it would be really easy to just kind of make Brendan this like two dimensional, like sociopath, like monster. And, and including those moments with his dad, like, you're like, Oh my fuck. Like you, you have been so misled like you, I mean, like I think you literally don't have the tools and this is like someone's fault. Like, there is someone we can blame for it. I'm having a thought that I want to like throw out to you. Throw it. About, about what's happening with Brendan that is also happening with Eve. Mm. Which is they both, it's not as, it's not as simple as they both are looking for someone to tell them what to do. It's they are both just looking for nurture. They're both looking to be focused on Mm. and taken care of. And Brendan isn't seeking that sexually, but he is seeking it from his father. He is seeking it from college as an experience um, and is feeling completely lost. And the one place that he's being offered that like unconditional support in the form of his mom, like constantly calling him and texting him and sending him care packages. Right. He doesn't want, you know, he doesn't is, want. Yeah. And then with Eve, cause I think this is like, and kind of what we were talking about before with her, you know, completely deflated, unsatisfying sexual experience with the guy she meets at the party. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it dies for her when it becomes about his needs where it, it's becomes, you know, he satisfies her. Like, I, I think it's like nipple play or something that she wants him to do. And he does it. Um, and then he's like, okay, now do me. And, then and she's immediately turned off. off because like, this isn't about an exchange. I want to feel like you are prioritizing my desire. And, and that's the thing that gets fulfilled by this threesome at the end that like, here's Amanda who is this person she wants, but it's also Amanda bringing her the gift of the person she wants. And it's Amanda creating this safe environment of like, it's the two of us. Here to please Here you. for you. We are here yeah. to satisfy you. And I love like, you know, and the the sexual charge of that party begins with Amanda being like, it's your party. You can kiss whoever you want. Yeah. You know, and that's like, you know, I, I, I just love that her journey like is like, no, I don't exactly want to be 
it, it starts with, I want to be objectified. It starts with, I want to be treated the way women are in porn, but it's also just like, no, I just want to be served. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to be like a vessel of pleasure. Which is what I think that moment that we were talking about earlier with, with Julian on his knees, like yeah. is the perfect like foreplay to that. That was the moment where the two of them were like, like he wants a hot older woman to worship and yep. she wants to be worshipped. And yep. and how could she not? She's literally spent the last 18 years like schlepping over this like dumb kid who doesn't ever say thank you and her right. like dumb ex-husband who doesn't ever say thank you. Right. Well, it's like she's, and she starts to sort of replace Brendan. Like when she's um, helping Owen Teague when he gets too drunk and he's like throwing up. Yeah. And you see all of her mom instincts just mm-hmm. pop in. And it's like, clearly that's not the role she wants to be playing with mm-hmm. him. And Brendan's looking for someone finally who will guide him in a way that he doesn't like resent. Because you can tell like if, like from the very first scene that he's in, he resents all of the help that Catherine Hahn is giving him. Yeah. Like, literally packing up his room for him while he's like texting his buddies when he probably would have respected her a tiny bit more if she had been like fuck you do it yourself why, why aren't your why aren't your bags packed you know what i mean like mm-hmm. they start to f- fill those roles um once they're separated and she makes the positive decision to be like no that's not what i want and he completely goes off the rails yeah Yeah, well, because I think it's like him leaving a space, whether it's high school, whether it's his home, where he was worshipped. Completely. Mm -hmm. He was the thing she focused on. Right. And his absence opened so many, which I was like, except for the shitty takeout, like, he, he was gone from the house and like, pour a glass of wine, order some takeout. And like, I was like, that's what heaven looks like to me. I don't, you know what I mean? An empty home (laughs) that I am in. A bath. She's like in the bath with her glass of wine. And choosing, choosing my choices with no one around. Right. I was like. Cap it off with your pornographic film of choice. I was like, this is where this could end for me. Like, if that's her happy ending, I'm fine. Yeah. End of episode one. Yeah. Um, I mean, clearly I'm glad that, I'm glad that everything else happens. Right. God, that scene gets better. Can we talk about- Yeah, let's, yeah, I was just going to say, let's go to, um, because I think we're sort of tiptoeing toward ideas about shame, about desire, Mm. which she certainly feels because I think she is, she follows the scripts, the cultural scripts that a woman of her age- is um deformed for Gross, for feeling desire old. like that go away yeah um and then that is just like so beautifully articulated to a great extreme in um in Roy who is a, an old man at the the nursing home that Catherine Hahn runs um who who is given a few warnings and then ultimately has to be excused from the home because he publicly masturbates uh, in, in front of the other, the other people. He'll watch porn in public. 
it's not like he's harassing anybody, but he'll watch porn in public spaces. He will masturbate while watching a movie. Um, and he doesn't understand why that's wrong. Roy. I don't know if I said that. And then he yeah. dies. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about this beautiful scene. That, it's interesting that you link that, Kate. That some of Catherine Hahn's shame around being an older, I mean, yeah. quote unquote, compared to her teenage son, person with sexual needs and desires would be colored in some way by the Roy experience. I think so. I don't want to be this gross, like, old, yucky person who, like, watches porn. Like, ew. Yeah. Well, and I don't know that she necessarily sees her... Well, I think that scene in the pool is so... That was sort of the moment where I was like, oh, this is what I'm here for, is this this complexity where... um. I don't know if I would, if I think, I'm not trying to equate them necessarily, and I don't think the show equates them, but I think the show is coding these, these are demographics, these are groups of people for whom any expression of sexuality is seen as wrong, Mm -hmm. is seen as something of concern, or something to be mocked, or, you know, like, yikes about you know the only person in this series the only people in this series who have permission to have fulfilling sexual lives are ted and brendan um state of affairs and there's that gorgeous scene where eve has had a a date that she wasn't ready for and she just kind of needs to escape the date um roy has has been sent home with his son because they've decided it's not appropriate for him to stay that that is sign his his masturbation is a sign of his mental decline which it certainly is um but uh she decides to go to the home and just go for a nude swim in the pool at the senior center and suddenly there's roy in his pajamas and robe who has like wandered here it's kind of a preposterous circumstance but here's the two of them in this pool and she's naked and he's there and he says, I like it here. And she kind of like lets, she stops covering herself up and just hugs him. She's like, I like it here too. And to me, that is like the thesis of the show. It's so stunning. That, that scene in the, in the restaurant is insane. Like she sees, she literally can see the next, you know, if, if, Brendan leaving home is the next chapter of her life. She sees in that restaurant the end. She sees the last chapter. Mm. And it's with another boring fucking guy who is going to dictate how she lives and the the next, you know, the next 40 years of her life. And she's like, nope, I have to go have this r- literal baptism and shed my skin and re- this rebirth, this like mm-hmm. Venus, just like swimming in this blue water. And I, you know, it, it, oh God, she just, she plays it so beautifully. And it's, it, you see how like her, her fight or flight like kicks in. She sees like 
all these older couples like eating soup and it's yeah, just and like, like sounding like, like the adults in um peanuts just like yeah <laughs> Yeah. Because, yeah. like, for, I think for her, she's like, okay, here's my second lease on life. Mm. Am I just going to find my next Ted? Right. Or am I going to find my Amanda and Julian? Hi, Amanda.